Good morning, everybody. I'm Hannah, and I'm the pastor here. I'm so, so glad that you are here. Whatever has brought you, whatever you are carrying, welcome. Um, I'm about to invite you to pray with me, uh, to pray for the sermon, but I'd also like to take a moment uh, and pray for the victims and families of victims of the Pulse shooting. Um, tomorrow is going to be one year um, since we were sitting in church right here uh, and heard about what had happened. Um, and I think we always want to be in prayer and in solidarity and in action for all those who are victims of violence, but especially um, for those who are targeted for who they are, um, for being LGBTQ, for being Latinx, um, for being in a place that has been for so many of us a sanctuary um, and, and having that turn into a place of uh, pain and violence. Um, and, and life still happens, right? So this terrible thing happened and life still happens and we still go to the parades and we still go to the clubs and we still make them spaces of love and of joy because we can't live in fear. But we always wanna remember those that we've lost and so let's pray for them too. God, <clears throat> God of grace and mercy and enormous power God, who we sometimes don't understand, meet us where we are in this moment. Help our hearts to be your hearts, the words of our mouths to be your words. And if they aren't, help us to start over again. Most of all, God, help our hands to be hands of healing, um, hands of justice in a world that too often feels like it doesn't have either. Be with us and be with the families today of all those who died in Orlando one year ago. Help us to remember the names and the faces of those who were lost, of the precious lives they led, that whatever business they left unfinished um, would be laid at peace for those who knew them, and that we would all build a more peaceful world where no one need fear for their lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, some of you all know that I grew up non-religious. My family wasn't religious. So in middle school and high school, uh, I found myself occasionally <laughs> on the other side of conversations like the one that Emma just described in her testimony <laughs> where uh, someone told her feel she was feeling holier than thou and she gave the like RuPaul approved amazing answer, but I am, <laughs> that I am going to take into every step of my life. Um, I didn't know a lot of Christians. I grew up in um, I first grew up kind of outside of the country where there weren't a ton of Christians, and then I moved back to Illinois, and there were Christians, but I didn't really um, know much about what they did or how they lived, because either the Christians I knew were being kind of quiet about it, I didn't know that that was their thing, um, or the few contacts I had were, were so alienating I avoided <laughs> continuing conversations. Um, so some of you may have heard this story, but I remember particularly when I was in sixth grade in central Illinois in the middle of the cornfields, um, I had a social studies teacher who we were doing a world religions unit and she had the idea, um, uh, well-intentioned but ill-advised, 
to have us all raise our hand according to what religion we were, to see like what religions were represented in the room, right? And so she's going through um, all the different religious traditions and Buddhism and Hinduism and Jainism and you know either zero or one person is raising their hand for those. And then she says, okay, Roman Catholicism and like you know a third to a half of the class raises their hands. And then she says, okay, Christian, not Catholic. And then almost everybody else raises their hand. And I've been sitting there uh, not raising my hand to anything because I'm not anything and I frankly don't know half the words that she's saying or what it would mean to be any of these things. Uh, but, but we're watching each other because it's sixth grade and in sixth grade nothing is more important than watching your peers to see if you're normal and okay. So we're all watching each other and, and uh, some folks have noticed that I didn't raise my hand for anything. And so the girl in front of me turns back around and says, you know, you didn't raise your hand. I was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not anything. I don't know. I don't, uh. And she said, will you believe in God, right? And I said, yeah. Not because I did, but because I could really tell that that was the right answer. <laughs> Whether or not I believed in God was a question I had not given much thought to and didn't know what it would mean to answer yes or no. Um, but I could tell it was the right answer. And so I was like, yeah, totally. I'm 11. I don't want to make a fuss. Um, and she looked at me and she said, oh, good. You're not going to hell then. And then she turned right back around and stared at the chalkboard. Uh, and she was, you know, felt good about the interaction. But for me, it was like a tiny little bomb had been sent into my 11-year-old life of what? 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 What just happened? What does that mean? Does she think I'm going to hell? If I was lying when I said yes to, to believing in God, does that mean I'm going to hell? What is hell? Who gets to decide? What is happening? Right? So um, that was my experience of Christians. And so I didn't. Uh, pursue a lot of relationships with them because they freaked me out a little bit. Uh, and I think that is a lot of our experiences, um, not just interactions like that one, but, but much more kind of harmful or dangerous or scary experiences where it has felt like if someone tried to evangelize to us, if someone tried to invite us into the faith, it wasn't in fact an invitation so much as either a condemnation or a threat. And some of those experiences, whether we've had them in our own lives or we've seen them in others, have made us suspicious of this whole concept that our sermon series in June is about, about evangelism. Um, we're suspicious of the idea that, that we might reach out or offer our faith or invite people to um, become Christians or learn more about Christianity because so many of the things that we've seen that called themselves that have been harmful or strange um, or not something we want to be a part of. And yet, and yet, I think there's a reason that we have to start thinking of ourselves as people who have something worth sharing and people who are going to evangelize for it. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about why, um, but first I want to talk a little bit about this John passage, this famous and beautiful scripture from the Gospel of John. Um, so, because I grew up non-religious, I just learned about the K-Love Challenge this morning. That was not a part of my, my cultural upbringing. Sounds great. I do like K-Love. Uh, but, uh, so, so I was not a person who memorized John 3.16, but some of you may have. So I'm going to say, if you know John 3.16, if you can say it off the top of your head, ready, set, go. That 
was a huge percentage of you. That was amazing. And that is a beautiful verse. Okay, so now, can anyone do John 3, 17? Okay, I think we had four. Yes! <laughs> Tim over here, too. All right. Anybody? John 3, 14. Ha, 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 None of you memorized the snake verse. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. John 3, 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. There's a reason that John 3.16 is the most Googled scripture verse, that it is shared everywhere, that it is on football players' faces under their eyes, that it is on posters. It's a beautiful passage, right? It's, it's a beautiful invitation and invocation of God's extraordinary love for us that invites us into an eternal relationship of love. Um, but it's also a lot more than that. Uh, John 3.16 has become this sort of symbol or signal that some people use as a dividing line, right? I have accepted this thing, so I get to wear it on my face or my skirt or my poster or my whatever. You have not. You're not in the club. And that's why I think it's really important to broaden our understanding of what God has inspired John to say here, this snake thing that he says, as Moses once raised a snake in the wilderness, so you, if you are a Christian, must raise Jesus up so that other people can see him. You must raise him up on his cross so that people can see him. Um, he's talking about a real thing that happened that's in another part of the Bible. He's not just sort of making reference to a funny image of Moses holding a snake. Um, he's talking about a moment when the, the Israelite people in their exile, as they often did, because this is exactly what we would do if we were stuck in the desert for 40 years, started complaining to God, right? <laughs> like, the food was better in Egypt, you know? Like, this is so annoying. It's so frustrating to be out here. Can't this just be over? It, like, what I would have done is six months in, right? They're 20 years in, and they're, they're doing that. They're complaining. Um, and... Uh, God is frustrated, and there's, they come upon these poisonous snakes, and some people die, uh, get bitten by the poisonous snakes, and some people die, and some people are living with these snake bites, and Moses kind of begs to God, like, forgive us and, and come back into our lives, and God says, okay, put one of the snakes up on a stick and have everybody look at it, and if they look at one of these poisonous snakes, that's where they will find healing. Put up the thing that you're most afraid of, right? Put the thing that is the scariest and the worst and the weirdest right in front of you, and it will help to heal you and bring you forward from your weirdness, right? From your, from your pain, from your, from your hurt. And this is the story that John is talking about, of Moses lifting up that snake. But there's also another story about this snake. It's that um, after that first incident in the wilderness, um, when people looked at the snake and were healed, the snake slowly over time began to become not a symbol of God's love, but a symbol that people cared about just for itself, just as an end to itself. They forgot that what the symbol was supposed to be about was healing and miracles and power and mystery. Um, it became about the snake instead of about the mystery, right? It became about the snake instead of about the miracle. And so over time, this bronze snake became a symbol that people would pray to for healing, and it became an idol. And when we get to Second Kings in the Bible, many, you know, years, years, years later, uh, 
it actually says, take that snake down. We've become so obsessed with the snake, we no longer see God's love in it, right? We no longer see God's power in it. We no longer see healing in it. It's become about a different, stale thing. So take down the snake, right? It's no longer a reminder. It's become a distraction. And so they take it down and they no longer worship it. And I think just like this passage invites us to lift up Jesus because of the ways that our hearts have been changed by love, it's also inviting us to take down the ways of evangelism that have become stale, the ways of evangelism that have become symbols of, right, of, of I'm rightness rather than symbols of God's righteousness. Take down the parts of this. Take down the bronze snake that has become an end in and of itself to prove how great you are instead of a symbol of real, living, profound, and extraordinary love and amazing things, right? It's about some things we want to invite into our lives, and it's about some stuff we want to get rid of. Because there's a lot of ways to think about evangelism. There's a lot of ways to think about sharing your faith. And some of them we want to reject, right? We say Jesus Christ came to be one of the fringe people. He was always hanging out with the people who were on the very outskirts of society. He was someone who constantly was upending what the religious and political authorities said that he would do. And yet we, as Christians, too often seek instead to become those authorities rather than to tear them down right alongside Jesus. We've got the wrong thing in mind. <clears throat> and so we've made our evangelism many times about power and force and coercion and fear and threat rather than love and mystery and question and invitation and this really amazing thing that we feel in our hearts. And so if you're into it, we want you to know that it exists. When we get rid of the first thing, I think too often we've made the mistake that if we're not going to be jerks, that means we have to stop entirely talking about God ever right? We got confused. We thought the part that was wrong about all of that bad evangelism was the talking about God part and not the being a jerk part. <laughs> we have forgotten to separate them. We can stop being jerks without stopping talking about God and what our faith has done for us and what this faith might mean to others. Because here's the next part of my story, right? I'm not I, I'm a Christian now, which I hope you know because I'm your pastor. Um, uh, after all of the people who talked to me about Christianity in a way that I found painful and alienating and like it wasn't for me, there were some people who talked to me about Christianity in a way that was open and inviting and where they weren't trying to force me to do anything and where this is the key. I knew that if I said no, they would still be friends with me and they would still care about me, and they would still care about who I was and be there for me. I met some Christians who um, told me stories about Jesus in a way that wasn't supposed to make me afraid, but was to make me interested, right? <laughs> I, I met some Christians who told me about what God had done in their lives, and then said, if that's what God is doing in your life, come on to youth group Sunday night. If it's not, let's hang out and get coffee Monday morning right, where they genuinely cared about me and were just honest about what was happening with them. And that, them not being afraid to do that, my openly gay pastor and my youth group full of weirdos at this very inclusive church that was in my community when I was a kid, 
um, them not being afraid to do that changed my life and made me see that there was something that I wanted to be a part of. And Jesus has changed my life every day since. Knowing God has changed my life every day since. Having a church community has changed my life every day since. I wouldn't give it up for anything, and I need it, and I'm so, so glad that they didn't think it was weird and that they weren't too nervous to show me a vision of God truly caring about every single person who God had made because it changed my life. And I also now see it from the other side, how evangelism can work for us because um, I might, like any of you, have found it weird and awkward to talk about my faith, but because it's my job, I don't really have a choice anymore. Right? Like I, like, I may or may not have taken on the mantle of evangelist, but the fact is you go to a party in America and the first thing anybody asks you is, what do you do? Um, and if I'm not going to be weird and lie and be like, I work with people on people things, right? I'm, I'm, like, I'm going to say, I'm a pastor, and then we're going to have a conversation which is what I've found. Being publicly Christian means you have a lot of really interesting conversations because people are thirsting to talk to people of faith about a big, big huge parts of their lives. The first time this ever happened to me, um, I wasn't a full-time pastor yet. I was in seminary. I was like a little old baby many years ago. And I went to a party with my husband's work and we were all at dinner. And um, the person next to me asked me, what do you do? And I said, I'm in school to become a minister. And she said, I have three kids. My husband died a few years ago, way too young. How can it be that, there is, that you believe in a God who is good and loving and that can have happened to me? Like that was her immediate response as soon as she heard that I was in seminary. Um, and that was not an easy conversation. Um, I certainly didn't have any answers for her, right? I don't, I don't have an answer to the question, how can the world be as awful as it is, and still you believe in God? But what I could do was say, I am so, so sorry that that happened to you. Um, what I could do was listen to her story and ask her to tell me more. What I could do was tell her about the times in my life where the crappiness of existence and the love of God had both existed at once and how that had worked or not worked for me, what I could do was give her the name of a church down the street where I knew and I said to her, you can be mad at God or you can not believe in God, but they will help you take care of your kids, which it sounds like you really need. You don't have a community here, right? I could do all of those things just by being honest about my own faith and what the church had been in my life not trying to convince her of anything, not trying to force her into anything, but because she was thirsting for a real conversation about what was going on here, I could just be honest about my perspective and not feel like I had to solve it for her, right? But that conversation never happens unless she knows that that's a thing I do and that's a thing I talk about. Happens to me all the time when I wear my collar outside, which I don't do a lot. I basically only wear my collar if I'm going to a protest or a meeting with a person who I think doesn't believe in women in ministry and isn't going to take me seriously unless I do. Um, and <laughs> those are the two circumstances under which I wear a collar. And uh, it's amazing when you wear a collar the things that people just want to talk to you about on the train and the bus, where they want to ask. Like, uh, <laughs> I once had a fourth grader. Um, what's the difference between Santa Claus and Jesus, right? Excellent question, right? And she had like nobody to ask that question to, but she saw the collar, she knew how to answer. Um, 
uh, people who have big things going on in their lives, like how do I make decisions about dating or how do I make decisions about work? And do you actually think that a gay person can go to church? Do you actually think that someone can care about Jesus and ending racism and justice? Like are those things that can be together? And when they see me, I would have these really profound conversations, especially I have a daughter when I was eight months pregnant and wearing a collar. I got a lot of people who were like, you're allowed? Like they're like, you know, there's a church where you exist. And I'd be like, yeah. There are churches where women can be in leadership. There are churches where we can say, some of us have kids and some of us are partnered and that's a beautiful way of following God. And some of us are single and that's a beautiful way of following God. And some of us are like figuring out our love lives as we figure out God and that's a beautiful way of following God. Um, and I have been forced to be publicly Christian. It like, wasn't a choice that I made, but it has been one of the most profound and beneficial experiences of my life. Because you guys, there are seven billion people in the world, and billions of them are so, so hungry to know that there is a community that can actually hold who they are and the fullness of their experience. That there is a God who actually made them on purpose and loves them for who they are. I have never been prouder to be a part of Urban Village Church um, than the week before last in my sort of extended friend network. Um, there was a person, and this hadn't happened a lot in that particular network of people that I knew, a person who discerned that they were going to take hormones and start transitioning and that they were actually non-binary and we're gonna start using they, them as their gender pronouns. Um, and they told uh, the community about that. And then there was this group text, and I was in a meeting all afternoon, and so I didn't see this group text until there was, you know, like you come back to your phone, and there's like 47 text messages, and you're like, what happened, right? Um, and so there's this group text about it, and I started to read through the text, and first I was so, so glad for the change in our culture that almost all of them were like, oh, okay, like 100% we're on board. We need to be supportive of this person, but how? Like, I don't, you know, I've never done this before. How do, how do you be supportive? What do you say? What do you do? Um, what do they need? And all of them said, you know, when Hannah gets back here, she'll know about the pronoun stuff. I wonder if we could send them to Hannah's church because that's a place that I bet we'll have resources. None of these people are religious. When's the last time you thought of, it, thought of a church as the resource for your friend who's going through something, right? Like, yeah, right? Like, that is the kind of world that we're building. That's the kind of faith we're putting out into the world. And the only reason that any of them know that UVC is a resource, which it is, UVC has great resources. I can immediately connect them with somebody who's going through what they've gone through, someone who's seeking the kind of medical or social or whatever, like UVC is a resource for that. The only reason they know is because I talk about it all the time. <laughs> There's no other reason that they, that they end up knowing that, right? They aren't gonna Google like, oh yeah, churches that do this thing that I believe that churches don't do because they don't believe that churches do it. <laughs> they need you to say to them, here's what my church is like. Here's who, what I think God is like. You don't have to be a part of that. If this isn't for you, amen, hallelujah. Like, let's go get lunch. But if this is for you, because there are a lot of people who want a faith like this, who want to know God better, who had a deep, profound, and abiding faith as teenagers, but then the circumstances of their life taught them that it could no longer be, and we might teach them that there is another way of knowing God, people are seeking it and thirsting after it, and they won't know about it unless you just start saying, this is a thing that I do. Not, this is a thing that I'll ruin you if you don't do, but this is a thing that I do. 
This is a thing that I believe. This is a place that I go. If that sounds like something that would be of benefit to you, I'm the guy, right? You can ask me about it. You have to be doing this because there are so many people who don't believe that God can be like that, and it's causing them pain. There are so many people who don't think that you can be who you are and be a person of faith, and it's hurting them. We know a different truth, and so we're not going to be jerks about it, right? <laughs> we're not going to be, be fear-mongers about it, but we are going to say God loved this, the world so much he made the sacrifice of his son. I can make the sacrifice of feeling a little weird and embarrassed sometimes. I can be honest about what I've experienced and not have answers, but tell the truth. I can tell people about what's happening. I can, you can post this communion table on Facebook, right? Or you can just say a little something to your friends at lunch about where you were on Sunday, and you don't have to make it a big thing, but then they'll know. If I need to ask questions about this, I know who, and I know where, and I know what. And little bit by little bit, we can change the world's perception of what it means <laughs> to be seeking after this and of what it means to know God. We have to be honest about what we found or else nobody's gonna know about it. And so that's how we're gonna become evangelists. Uh, not through being holier than thou, although I love, love that story, <laughs> but through being the thouest version of ourselves where we're honest about what's happened to us and where we are. Amen? Amen. Amen.